A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am joined by two industry leaders to discuss the effect of regulations and value chain in the rapidly evolving printing inks markets. George Fuchs, Director of Regulatory Affairs for National Association of Printing Ink Manufacturers, otherwise known as NAPM. George has worked in safety, health, and environment in various technical fields for over 35 years in the chemical industry at companies including Allied Chemical, Penwalt, and Enochem before joining NAPIM, where he works with both regulators and manufacturers. I've also got with us today Ray Gonzalez, who is the Global Head of Marketing and Business Development for Clariant. Ray spent the first 25 years of his career with Dow, where he held sales and marketing leadership positions. He joined Clariant in 2021, and is now the head of marketing and business development in the coatings and adhesive segment of the absorbance and additives business. That is a really long name, and I don't know how you're going to fit it on your business card, Ray, so you <laughs> might have to tell us about that. Anyway, we're going to be discussing the rapidly evolving markets of printing inks, influenced heavily by regulation and innovation, and when there's actually been some regulatory actions taking place, so we're going to be learning more about that. Ray and George, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to Absolutely. be here. Great. So, George, I'm going to start with you. What's your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals and specifically toxicology and HSE, which is yeah. a very unique space, and then ultimately to your current role? Yeah, sure. Th thanks, Victoria. Yeah, I, I was in, in school in the, in, in the 1970s. And as some of you may recall, that was the late 60s and early 70s uh, period in America, there were a couple of rather high profile environmental disasters that occurred in that time. Some of you may recall Love Canal and um, in, in the uh, maybe less familiar with the Bhopal methyl isocyanate disaster in, in, in Bhopal, India. And at the time I was training as a chemist while in school and I was affected by that for a couple of reasons it's it seemed that through my training i had a pretty good understanding of the necessity and importance of chemistry and chemicals and in, in modern life but at the same time uh, i raised my awareness and recognition of the importance of managing those things uh, safely that drew me to this area and and, and again at that uh, that time I, I, my first uh, position was with allied chemical a company that, uh, that no longer exists in that that form was uh, now and in, in, in some version is is part of Honeywell uh, corporation but at the time time. Allied Chemical was one of the largest specialty and commodity uh, chemical manufacturers in the world. And they unfortunately had a release through a tolling operation in Virginia of, of a 
pesticide they were making known as Kipon. And at, the, at that time, it was, was issued a violation of the largest environmental fine ever levied in America up to that point, a $40 million fine. And when, and as the result of that, uh, Allied Chemical began a very strong effort in ensuring the safety and environmental safety of their, their products. And so that kind of drew me to them at the time. And I started to, started with them to, to look at how they were uh, managing their products, what we could do to determine the uh, health and environmental impacts of their products. And again, uh, and stayed with Allied for, for about 15 uh, years at, at that point. And Allied, through their toxicology group, which was where I was working, was analyzing all of the inhalation toxicology, dermal, all of the different parameters that we've come to today, to that we recognize today as being very important uh, in terms of assessing the safety of the product. So that kind of is what drew me in the start of my career in, in uh, chemical um, environmental health and safety. Later on, in, 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 in uh, other, uh, other roles, I began regulatory compliance um, uh, efforts in, in working with uh, government uh, regulators, legislators, and in crafting regulations uh, for the chemical industry. But uh, I, currently, I'm the Director of Regulatory Affairs and Technology for the National Association of Printing Ink Manufacturers. And, and NAPM is a, is, is a trade association that, that, interestingly enough, is, is one of the older, if not the oldest, trade association in America. NAPM is about 111 years old now. It's formed in in the early 1900s and has been in existence uh, ever, ever since. And the, the printing ink industry, uh, much like other parts of the, uh, of the chemical uh, industry, becomes pretty involved and complex as you drill down a little bit and look at the, the composition of, of the industry. It, uh, the printing ink industry is broadly classified in the specialty chemicals manufacturing uh, industry. So it's part right. of that that manufacturing uh, sector. And we broadly divide printing ink into two major categories. And that's the commercial side, which is magazines, newspapers, annual reports, those types of things. And the printing ink side, which I'm sorry, the packaging side, which is just as you can imagine, big box packaging, food packaging, yeah. everything else that goes on to a packaging. And the, the commercial side is, has declined somewhat with the impact of cyber communication and advertising and those types of things. But the packaging side has expanded in the last 10 years. Now, let's pause on that maybe because I think we'll get to that a little bit later because I want to move over to Ray. And Ray, similar question, right? So you've got a degree in marketing. You could have gone anywhere and you chose to come into chemicals and obviously spent a big part of your career with Dow. But what brought you into chemicals and what's kept you here? <laughs> It's not so complicated, unfortunately. <laughs> it, I, I grew up in Michigan and I went to Michigan State University. So I was a college grad looking for my first job and uh, Dow Chemical was recruiting. And I grew up 10 miles from the town that Dow is headquartered in Midland, Michigan. Okay. So it's it was attractive to think that I could start my career very close to home where I had my family and friends. And I chose to work with Dow. And actually, I didn't stay long in Midland. As it is with everybody's career, things change. You take on new positions. And I had the opportunity to move to different states and do different types of roles. And, and now I'm with Clarion and very happy in South Carolina. 
with my family. We're having a, a good time with the nice warm climate. And I'm excited about being part of Clarion because of the very strong commitment to sustainability. Yeah, that's exciting. And of course, as we talked about before we started recording, I also spent uh, a couple of years with Clarion, so I'm familiar and it's a great company. And I'm also an escapee from the Midwest. So as my husband says, we've lived in Houston for 25 years. And as he says, every time we would talk about, should we move back up to Illinois or Wisconsin? You don't have to shovel steam. The lack of shoveling snow is an appeal for him. But what's great about home is you can always visit, especially in summer. (laughs) Yeah. And Michigan summers are amazing. I'm sure you guys enjoy that. So let's go ahead and set some context here. And I think George started giving us a peek into this, but we're talking about the printing inks industry today. How big is this market and where are these products used? What would we recognize when we think about printing inks? I think George did a good job of starting to explain that earlier when he was talking about those two sides of printing inks. And it's such a big industry, it's almost impossible to really tell how big it is. But I can say for a company like Clarion, it's super important because it's growing, number one. It's always changing. I think people would be amazed at how evolved printing inks has become in terms of the technologies that are available. And so we put a lot of focus on it because we have products that are useful in that application. And particularly as we get into this topic today around PTFE free type solutions, this is a big focus for us. Yeah. I look around my house and sometimes it's easy to think of printing inks as being about books and newspapers and paper, but it's packaging and I don't know, and a lot of different things. So we're probably interfacing with it far more frequently than anyone realizes. Yeah, I think there's a lot of high tech space there, but you're right that packaging space is maybe the one that's quite interesting right now, particularly with respect to this topic and the use of PTFE and packaging is very, it's important in the sense that PTFE has served a purpose. It's really good at what it does, but now that we've learned that it's really not the best substance, it's all about how do we replace that material with something that works as good or possibly better, but is safer in the end. That's actually a great segue back to what's going on from an environmental perspective and a regulatory perspective here. So in a recent poll, we conducted with some chemical industry leaders, the evolving regulatory environment and the ability for government agencies, as well as producing companies to keep up with the pace of change has ranked as a very high concern. So George, can you talk about this a little bit? Can you give us some examples of some recent changes and the role that NAPIN plays in helping to navigate this environment? Sure. Um, Trade associations typically, uh, Victoria, have two primary roles really with with respect to um, what's happening from a a, a compliance uh, perspective. Let me call it compliance rather than regulatory compliance, because what we've seen uh, and typically what our involvement would be is in two parts. First is regulations develop. Regulations start, of course, is legislation. Right. Okay. So the, so the Congress or House of Representatives, Representatives develops legislation, and then once that's approved, passed, signed into law, it's handed off to a to an agency, whether it's EPA or OSHA or Consumer Product Safety, one of the, the federal agencies, to implement the regulation. And so 
the involvement of the trade association typically is, is talking with the legislatures when they're developing the legislation, but more importantly, it's working with the regulators. And when they're when, when you think about it, it's a very complex environment because these regulations apply across the board in the chemical industry. Every NAICS code that you can imagine that's involved in chemical manufacturing in that space could be affected by that. And so the, the challenge is great when you're looking at developing a regulation that fits all of these different industries. So we try to guide them with respect to how these regulations could be developed and implemented to affect our industry. But the other important point to remember here is in, in, in the challenge for, for the chemical industry is we've evolved beyond just worrying about regulatory compliance. It's expanded beyond that for a couple of reasons. And uh, today we're more concerned with, we are at least as concerned with what's happening in the chemical uh, testing space, which has exploded since the evolution of REACH and the Toxic Substances Control Act. As more health testing, environmental impact uh, information becomes available and available to the public, and the brands, there is at least as much concern about that. So what you might call super regulatory concerns, extra regulatory concerns, or at least as important today as the regulations that, that evolve from them. And it, which takes time, of course, to pass a regulation, but the impact of on the public of health information, like PTFE, for example, interesting case, right? There's no restriction, a ban on the use of PTFE. In fact, US FDA still allows it in various packaging applications. But because of the health concern related to forever chemicals, the brands have said, well, we don't want it in our products anymore. So my point is we've got to pay attention to more than just what's happening from a regulatory standpoint and look at what's happening in kind of the public space as health and safety information continues to evolve. And certainly recently we've seen a lot about PFAS and legislation and the banning of that, which is also considered one of the forever chemicals. And then PTFE, which as you point out, is also interestingly still allowed, and yet product companies are moving away from that. Sure. I guess my question on that is, are we seeing any regulatory or compliance action around PTFEs, or is this really more proactive and driven from a consumer and brand perspective? I'm sorry, I'll just weigh in here and then I'll let them. Yeah, probably both, Victoria. They, they had, they're, they're, right now here, there's federal legislation. And one of the complicating factors, again, with this is that at least here in the States, you have federal regulations, right? And, and there's an awful lot of activity that, that interestingly began because of the use of fire film forming firefighting foams that were mm -hmm. used on military bases and which contained perfluorochemicals and which they were finding in the water around the bases. That's really how this all kind of started. And so there are reporting regulations that you uh, that would apply uh, right now, but no, and, and ultimately I suspect there will be greater and greater restrictions on the use of PTFE containing PFAS uh, comp uh, compounds uh, in, in the future. Got it. So Ray, I know that part of this story is around reporting and transparency and, and supply chain transparency is really critical. As a producer, clearance is obviously at the front end of the supply chain and is really able to influence that transparency. So from your perspective, 
what are the opportunities and the challenges in this greater desire for supply chain transparency? Mm -hmm. I think there are a tremendous amount of opportunities. However, we have to overcome the challenges. And I think some of the challenges are just that historical way of doing things. As a, in the value chain, you talk to your suppliers and you talk to your customer. And that's where it ends in, in a traditional sense. And I think we have to evolve away from that as an industry and start thinking about how do we collaborate across the value chain? And that's happening. Clarion's been part of that in design for circularity on the plastic sides where we partnered with brand owners and compounders and now you know being a producer to come up with a solution that met the needs of the customer. So there's a collaborative approach. But there's also this brand owner pull approach, which is we're seeing more and more of this because brand owners no longer are willing to take the risk of being associated with something that's going to hurt their brands. Their brands have a lot of value and they really don't want something to come up that they didn't anticipate or expect that all of a sudden they have to deal with. So that's there's that kind of carrot and stick. But the carrot is... Mm. As a brand owner, I also have sustainability goals. I want to tell my customers and my shareholders that I'm meeting certain standards of sustainability, and that drives them to want to be aware of what's available in the market. And sometimes they need to go beyond their immediate supplier to know what solutions exist. So we've also at Clarent had a tremendous amount of contact in various industries with brand owners with the intent of really understanding for them to understand what we can bring and help them achieve those sustainability goals. Yeah, that's it. And it's not easy, right? I think getting end-to-end -end transparency in this space, especially because yours is not the only product that's going into a formulation, right? There's a multitude of products and figuring out how to create that same level of transparency across the value chain is challenging. Yes. That is particularly true of Victoria within the printing and manufacturing space. When printing and manufacturing is a mixing and blending formulating industry, accordingly, the materials used in their formulations are viewed by them, rightly so, as, in, as intellectual property. Disclosure of that information is really of concern to them. And Ray is right, the printing manufacturers work very closely with companies like Clariant to look at alternatives and options for replacement of PTFA. And it's a challenge for the ink industry because it, it's probably not well known, but there are hundreds of thousands of different printing ink formulations. And and that's not an exaggeration at all. And each yeah. one of them has different performance parameters and requirements. So whether you're printing on film or board or paper or whatever you're printing on, each one of those inks has to be different. And the performance requirements for those inks are different as well. And so it's a challenge. And, and it's a challenge met by companies like Clarion, because I know our guys work with companies like Clarion all the time to say, okay, this is what we need. We typically use PTFA for slip resistance or slip or blocking or heat seal resistance, those types of things. And finding a material that 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 meets all of those requirements is is a research and development effort. And sometimes on an individual formulation. Yeah. So Ray, let's talk about that a little bit. Are there material replacements for PFAS in ink systems? And where are we heading and where's the R&D going with that? Yeah. 
And the answer is yes, there are alternatives. As we pointed out earlier, PTFE does what it does very well. And because there's so many formulations out there, there wasn't a huge incentive for formulators to go and tackle this problem because the status quo was good. They didn't need to. But now that they are feeling that pressure to do that, and, and many are being very proactive about it, they're finding that as they evaluate these alternatives, like waxes and wax blends that, that Clarin offers, they're finding that they can work as well. And in some cases, we're seeing work better or work as well with less dosage. So there's there truly are solutions, but sometimes it just takes something like a catalyst to get companies to start looking and trying things. And I would say for Clarion, we didn't want to wait for regulation, right? So we're always thinking about what's coming, what are the trends, how can we get ahead of the curve, how can we be ready when the customer's ready and when they need a solution. So we had the benefit of already having some things that we knew could work and we're actively developing new stuff. So when you ask where the R&D is heading, we feel like we've already got a pretty good head start on that and we've got some good solutions already in the market. So you guys have been able to commercialize some PTFE alternatives for the printing ink industry. Yes, we have existing products that can work. So that's number one. And number two is we had already had some development work ongoing prior to this, let's say the today situation that we're launching. So newer recent stuff that we've launched. And as fast as it feels like this topic has evolved, the reality is it's been fairly known in the industry that this, it was coming. The, mm. the challenge for producers is all about timing. There's a lot of things that have pressure on them and everybody thinks, yes, eventually we're going to have to stop using this or that solvents, for example, different solvents mm. or uh, trying to hit VOC targets. But knowing when the industry will flip is really the, the million dollar question. And uh, so we're trying to be prepared. Let's put it yeah. that way. So when the time comes, when the customer's ready, we'll be ready to support them. And I think your point on timing is, is so critical because we're seeing this across the chemical industry, right? And as I talk to leaders in different parts of the industry, particularly when we think about sustainable products, circular products, replacement products for something that may be under regulatory pressure, there's always this desire to have the option available. But then are your customers actually ready to buy? What are the conditions that they need for success, et cetera? So it makes it challenging. And I think people have to be companies like Clearing and others have to be ready to go and figure out how to start moving products into the market before it becomes a desperate situation where it becomes mandated and there's no other options. So it's a bit of a give and take. Yeah, definitely. And it helps to be a company that already has an intent to be sustainable. So yeah. it's really built into our DNA that when we innovate, it will be something that needs to meet a sustainability target. It needs to advance this topic in some way, but it also has to be customer-led. It has to be meeting the needs of a customer. So if you bring those two things together, oftentimes you can get it right. Sometimes you might be a little too early and sometimes you're a little too late, but you do your best. Yeah. I think it's, that's right. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about the global nature of your business and your customers, right? We talked a little bit earlier about this rapidly changing environment. And let's be honest, it, the regulatory framework differs 
by region. There's different pressures at different places. So I'm going to ask both of you guys, but maybe I'm going to start with Ray and just say, as a global company, how are you navigating these different regulations and requirements? And you obviously work with both local and global customers who have different needs and requirements. But how do you balance that out? How do you make that happen? It's almost maybe the answer sounds too simple, but we have to because it's our license to operate. You really can't be a chemical producer and operate globally and not be very aware of what are the rules and regulations everywhere you're going to participate. It's really a a must-have, and it it does take a significant investment, but you have to do it. Um, I like to think of it more as the opportunity side of it, right? So regulations will drive change. And change means opportunity. So Mm -hmm. how do we look at these trends as an opportunity to bring something better into the market? And yes, we have this side of it that's, let's say, more of a a compliance challenge that we have to to do. But it's also our regulatory partners give us a little foresight on the business side of what's coming. And we say, okay, let's not wait for that problem. Let's get ahead of it and, and try to turn it into an opportunity. George, how about from your perspective, how does NAPIM work with other industry groups, both domestically and globally? How do you stay on top of that or how do you align with other groups? Sure. It's interesting, Victoria. Most of the time when I tell people that uh, NAPIM represents printing ink manufacturers, their immediate reaction is, oh, the printing industry. Yes, it is part of printing, but it, it, it is its own little group here, as especially chemicals manufacturers. But in terms of as a practical matter, we have very strong relationships with all the printing-related trade associations. So that would be the Flexographic Technical Association, RADTEC, which, is, which represents energy curable producers of coatings and, and printing inks, Printing United who are all uh, the printing-related trade associations directly affected by this. So we have very strong relationships with them. And and generally, we work hand-in-hand with them when we're providing comment to industry groups or to government agencies, both state and federal, on the impact of these regulations. But the the global nature of it is a relatively recent thing. And by that, maybe the last 15 years. But all of our, i.e., the brands, or global companies. And so they're not just concerned about what's happening here in the States. They're concerned about what's happening wherever they sell their products. So it's essential that we are paying attention to the kind of a global conditions that are regulatory conditions that, that, are, that, are, that are happening. And primarily, we look at the EU and what's happening in the EU, although China, of course, is a big player here as well. But there is a printing ink association in Europe and the EU called UPIA, European Printing Ink Association. And we have very good relationship with them. We get together on a monthly basis to talk about what's happening in Europe and gives us an awareness of what's happening in the different member states of the EU. And we provide that kind of information back to our member companies. It gives them a little heads up about what's coming down the pike. Yeah. Interesting. And you talk about the other parts of the globe. I always think of Japan as being a bit of a heavy hitter in inks, and I don't know why I think that. Is this true? Am I off base? No, you're not. (laughs) A number of the very large ink companies that you may be familiar with have Japanese ownership. 
Yeah, they're big players and, and from an import and, and an awful lot of printing ink is exported from the United States, more than you might think. And it goes all over the world. Yeah, that's it. And Japan is one of the places that uh, has ownership uh, roles in U.S. ink industry, but also is importer of printing inks uh, from the U.S. Got it. All right. So here's my next curiosity question, because I think of ink as being liquid. When you think about, is that how I should be thinking about that? Is that true? Um, and are the components that go into it liquids or the components that clarient sells? I just really have no idea. Yeah. Yes and no. The Again, you could broadly divide the ink industry into the, what we call a liquid and paste group, where the paste side is would, would go into offset lithographic printing it's sold as a thick slurry and and the but is is that part of the industry has somewhat declined in in, in volume over the years the liquid side which is but an awful lot of packaging is also produced offset lithographically well, people aren't familiar with that, but the liquid side goes into what's called flexographic printing. So I would say, Victoria, probably 60% of the ink that's sold today is liquid ink, something like that. And the, the balance would be paste inks, which goes into you know, offset Got it. Got it. And Ray, I'm assuming that there may be some different requirements when you think about products and reformulations, depending on what that end use is. Is that right? Yeah. And you asked what were the ingredients from Clarion, and they're basically micronized waxes. So very finely, let's say, milled or crowned waxes or blends of different types of waxes. And it's very difficult to just say, I've got the solution and it's going to work in every customer's formulation because as George pointed out, there's so many different kinds of formulations and applications. But if you are able to tweak your products into different let's say performance properties, you can find your way into many of those applications that George spoke about, even whether they're paste or liquids, because in the end, there's the functionality of what the wax brings is the same. It's offering that protection on the top of the surface and uh, it, it prevents smudging or scratching or blocking as George pointed out earlier. So that's the good news is there's a lot of flexibility of how our products can be used. Yeah. Uh, the the more challenging side is there's not a one size fits all solution for everybody. <laughs> that's why it's a specialty chemical because it, exactly. it's complicated and, and specialized. As I talked to uh, a number of our committee members, technical committee members in preparation for this podcast, uh, that they use that expression, Ray, one size fits all, because that was the initial approach, right? Let's see if we can find a, a direct replacement across the board for PTFA, and one size does not fit all. And so it, it, the challenge is great in, in looking for uh, the, the components that kind of fit in individual ink formulations. This has been great. So any final thoughts? And what should we be looking for as we head into 2024? I'm going to start with George. I would say uh, in terms of looking forward, I think we can, as an an increasing uh, volume of health, safety, and environmental information uh, becomes publicly known, I think we can expect greater and greater restrictions on the materials that are available to us for usage. Point one and point two, the the levels of concern will continue to ratchet. When I first started in this industry, parts per million was the, the rule of thumb. And very recently, I worked with a state agency here 
in, in the US that was concerned about parts per quadrillion. Wow. Decimal point, 14 zeros, and then put a number there. So I think we can expect those two things, increasing concern about health effects and at lower levels. Yeah. How about for you, Ray? What should yeah, we be I, looking for? I agree with what George said. I think that if we're gonna try to chase levels, we're missing the point. I, I think the goal should be, let's just get it out of use and find those solutions as early as possible. I think a lot of our customers feel the same way. Uh, they don't wanna take those risks. And I'm certain that the brand donors don't either. So I, I feel like the momentum is only going, going to grow for this. And for us at Clarion, the American Coding Show is coming up. So that's a great opportunity to really reconnect with the industry, talk about these solutions. I know it's not necessarily the Inks show, but we often will see customers from the Inks industry at the coding show. And this problem exists in codings as well. So yes. we're going to be offering our solutions and, and looking forward to dialogues with customers and the, in the value chains to really push this forward with them and see where it goes. Thank you, George. And thank you, Ray. I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank well. you. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah. And thanks everyone for joining us today. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we'll talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.